Listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Let's pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to John. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that your blessing would be upon us tonight. God, we just ask that we're here, God, like a sponge, just to soak up, God, just principles of your word, that God will help us to be more effective in our leadership role, that will teach us, God, what it is to be a servant, to serve in your house, the honor of serving in your house, the privilege of serving in your house. And God, we just pray that that would be the mandate that every one of us would grab a hold of, that we would see, that we would realize, that we would invest our lives into and our future into. We thank you for our church, God. We thank you for what you've blessed us with. And it's just the beginning of what you're going to do. But God, you need men and women like those who are here tonight. God, who will vest into it and say, I believe in it. And together we're going to make a change. And God, I pray that you would give us such incredible men and women that would be the change that this world needs to see, that this church needs to see. We thank you. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Come on, let's shout out for Johnny Norman in the house. Hey, let's give it up for your pastors, Phil and Kelly. Love these guys. And uh, hey, well, it is an absolute privilege to be in there we go. There we go. I don't know who that is. He looks similar to my little brother. Anyway, fantastic. Hey, what a privilege it is to be here tonight. And uh, I'm here for an extra day as well. My flight got cancelled tomorrow. And uh, apparently there's an inch of snow coming and the city's shutting down. So fantastic. Fantastic. I saw, a, <laughs> I saw a big sign on the side of a bank today, closed tomorrow. I'm like, wow, you guys must be loving it, hey? Praise God, hey? So uh, snow comes once every 20 years, and I happen just to be here on the day I'm flying is the day I, you'll be wanting rid of me, but no, it's all good. We're going to the Sun of California on Wednesday to be with my wife's family, so we're looking forward to that. Hey, what a privilege it is to serve God. Amen. What a privilege. It, you know what? God doesn't have a plan B. This is his plan A, and this is the only plan he's got. It's called his church, and we get to be a part of his, his, his plan for the earth, and uh, there is no greater cause on this earth than building the local church. And I want to encourage you, what you're part of right now is the ultimate. Okay, it's not the penultimate, it's the ultimate. There is nothing greater than this. Okay, there is no job that can bring satisfaction. There is no salary that can bring satisfaction. And uh, I could be doing a whole lot of things. Phil could be running a hotel, he could be running a, a business, but he wants to run a church. Why? Because this is the ultimate is to be part of what God's doing here. And uh, I want to commend you for coming out on a wintry night. And I hope you receive something from God tonight. And uh, I hope you all get home as well. Fantastic. Uh, you might want to stop off at Walmart and get some groceries for the next couple of days on the way home. So, You know, we often, we often uh, understand 
a lot about Christ the Savior, but there is a difference. I mean, Christ is Christ, but there is a difference between learning about Christ the Savior and Christ the Lord. Christ the Savior is the Christ we learn about on a Sunday. We get taught about his grace and his love and his compassion and all the good things, but his lordship is leadership. And Christ doesn't just come to save you, he comes to lead you. Okay? And a lot of people are just comfortable with the Christ the Savior, but are uncomfortable with Christ the Lord. And the Lord means leader, and he wants to lead you. It says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me, and he wants to lead you. Okay? And leadership is uncomfortable. Okay, because leadership is confrontational. Tonight is going to be uncomfortable in certain, in certain aspects. Is that okay? Okay, and we're going to confront things. What's not confronted will never change. Okay, and uh, so we're going to confront a few things. And we're going to, because I believe this church is destined for growth, expansion. We can't do that unless we grow as individuals. Okay, and so we're just going to unpack some of those thoughts, uh, unpack some of those thoughts um, this evening, and uh, we're going to have some fun doing it as well. Is that all right? Okay, I believe that God has called Pastors Phil and Kelly and their family to build a large, influential church here in Baton Rouge and in the surrounding communities beyond, and who knows what that that can lead to. And you do not fluke a large church. Okay, you do not fluke an influential church. You don't fluke that. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden. Uh, sometimes we think revival is just going to, uh, you know, just fall out of the air. Let me tell you, revival is not spelled R E V I V A L. It is spelled W O R K. Work. Okay, so you don't fluke a revival. You don't fluke a large church. And it's amazing to see what God's done in this church in the last two years. I think I did a leadership night like this when I was here last time, there must be three times the amount of people here, and that is amazing. If it continues to grow like this, you're going to see some incredible things happen. I'm believing for that, but when it, it, it's not just going to happen, okay? That's not just going to happen. Just like in a business or, a, a, you know, in education, you've got to work hard, and when you put the effort in, you see the rewards out. And so... Um, on this team, in which Phil and Kelly are building, there are people that they must have. And I want to talk tonight, there's a title for this message, on being a must-have leader. A must-have leader. I want you to write down three people that you must have on your team. Three people that your team in church... Now, if you're not part of a team in church now, that's okay. You can still write the question down. But three people on your team, in your kids' ministry, in the volunteers' area, in the cafe, three people you could not run your department, your area, without. They are must-have people. Okay? They're must-have people. And uh, you don't have to show that to people, okay? Because if their name's not on there, they might get offended. But remember, offense is a choice. It's your choice. So... Did you all enjoy yesterday? Yes. Anyone face some disappointment today? I did. I got a call from Delta. (laughs) Bless Delta. I'm like, I'm anointed for disappointment. Then I went to Apple and got a blessing, so thank you. So my message tonight is being a must-have leader. If Pastor Phil wrote a list of must-have leaders, would your name be on that list? Would you be a must-have leader? Could this church function without you? Are you a must-have leader? And uh, who are the must-have people on your team? So I want to give us 20 characteristics of a must-have leader. 
I don't know how many of these we're going to get through. Some we're going to take two minutes on. Some we're going to take 20 minutes on. But I believe if we're going to build something influential in this city of Baton Rouge, we must have great leaders. Okay? And uh, we're going to look at what a must-have leader is what it takes. So characteristics of a must-have leader. Number one is this. You have to be, believe you are called to be here. Okay? The first thing is you've got to believe that this is where God has called you. It's no good you trying out different churches every three Sundays. Okay, this is where God has called you. Okay, and there's going to be Sundays where it's the best Sunday ever, and there's going to be Sundays that are a little more challenging. But this is where God has called you. And so when God's called you there, you stay there. And this, you've got to have a, a real uh, conviction in your spirit that you are called to be. And Phil and Kelly need people in this house that are 110% committed to this house. Not checking things out on the side, but you're committed. You're saying, this is the house, what God has called me to be part of. And called means rising above offenses, okay? So when I was in South Africa, there was many times that I could have taken offense to things that happened in leadership, things that decisions were made. But because my God had called me there, the calling was far greater than the offense. Does that make sense? So whenever you feel offense, whenever you feel like things aren't going well, you've got to remember you are called to be at Heartsea's Family Life Center. God did not just put you here because he thought, oh, I'll pick one of the ten churches in this city. God's called you here. It wasn't an accident. He strategically placed you here. So when you feel like leaving, you've got to say, actually, God's called me here. Now, there are seasons where God does call you and move you on into different places, and you will know in your spirit, and it will sit right with leadership, but the calling is the major thing here, okay? So the first characteristic of a must-have leader is you have to believe that you're called to be here, and uh, calling means sacrifice, okay? It's not an easy road to to always be called of God. You know, for Chantal and I, we are called to build the church, okay? That's not just at a volunteer capacity, but full-time. For some of you, God's called you to be a full-time volunteer. For some of you, there's a, a, an urging in your spirit, and God's called you that one day you'll be on staff. That is fantastic. But until that day comes, your calling is to be a volunteer, okay? But it's a calling. And uh, for Chantal and I, we, for four years now, this is our fourth year, we've lived by faith. Okay, God's called us to, to just to trust God in this season for our salary. Now, that's not an easy calling because it would be far easier. I can go and get a job. Chantel can get a job. But God's called us. And I can't run away from my calling. I can't do a Jonah. You can't do a Jonah. God's called you. Okay, he's called you to help out in the kids' ministry. We're going to switch. Leader is this. Don't be an opportunist. This is really important. One of the traps that many people fall into with leadership is they're looking for opportunity. The goal is not opportunity. The goal is to serve. Okay? We can't build the house on opportunists. Okay? Let me tell you, if you are faithful, opportunity will come. You know, don't expect to clean people's dirty lives if you can't clean dirty toilets. Okay? I know that's quite extreme. When I first, one of the reasons I, one of the reasons that I bought into the vision of Hillsong Church in 2001 was I went over to the Hillsong Conference, and um, I was not really going for God at the time. But I went into the toilet, and there was a gentleman in the Hillsong Conference in the toilet. There's a conference of probably about fifteen, twenty thousand people, and there was hundreds, if not thousands, of volunteers in red T-shirts, 
And I saw this gentleman, probably in his mid-50s, scrubbing the urinals in the men's toilets. And I just happened to strike up a conversation, as you do. And I said, do you work here? And he said, no. I said, he said, I'm a volunteer. I said, that's fantastic. I said, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, maybe he's just retired and just given a couple of hours to, to the conference. I said, what do you do? What's your job? He says, I'm a lawyer. I said, wow, you're a lawyer. He, I said, he says, yes, I have my own practice. And um, I've, I, I've dedicated a week of my, of my life to serving the house. And I'm on the, I'm on the, the Dream Clean team. And I thought, oh my, I, okay. So I'd never experienced anything like this. I'd walked in. All of a sudden, a man who's potentially earning $100 an hour on a regular day is now scrubbing the toilet that I'm in. Now, that is ownership. That says, hey, you know what? I'll do whatever I take to be part of building the vision of this house. And if you, if you want the microphone in one hand, you've got to be prepared to hold the toilet brush in the other hand. That's how great churches are built. It's people who say, you know what? We have a whatever it takes attitude to build the house of God. It's our, it's our house. And uh, don't be an opportunist. And, you know, a lot of people have this attitude of church. I can't hold up everything as well. It's been a while since I put a serviette in like this. We come into church with this attitude. Feed me. Serve me. Give me everything you've got. Phil, you better have a good word today because I need it. And this is the attitude we have towards church. But that's, that's not the attitude of Christ. That was never what Christ designed it to be. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so the attitude we need to have when we come into church is this. It's a complete change of attitude. Great churches are not built on feed me. They're built on what can I do? What can I do today, sir? How can I serve you? It's a complete different attitude. And that is how we're going to build a large influential church in this city. Don't be an opportunist. Don't just be looking for opportunities. Many of you have got gifts on your life to preach. Many of you have got gifts on your life to lead worship, to sing, to play an instrument. But never let that be the drive. If you're just faithful, God promotes the faithful. God promotes the faithful. And you just keep hanging in there, doing the right thing at the right time. Let me tell you, God will promote you. God will promote you. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, the north, the south. It comes from above. God sees everything. God sees you working in an office late at night. Pastor Phil might be at home with his family and you're doing it. You think, well, no one sees me. It doesn't matter who sees you. God sees you. And he will promote you. He will promote you. When we were, Pastor Phil was saying about when we were in Norwich and working with the youth ministry there, and we we would, all I would do is just drive kids home after, on a Friday night all over the city and drop them off. And on a Sunday, in my last, when I was in the UK six seven years ago, I never ever got to preach. Maybe once twice a year, I was my job was to put the chairs out. I called myself the chairman. I thought I've got to call myself something. I need a title. But you know what? God saw that. 
I arrived in South Africa the next week. Phil said, he said, hey, by the way, you're preaching on Sunday. I said, preaching? 2,000 people in the service. I'd gone from putting chairs out to preaching to 2,000 people. Ended up being tens of thousands of people. I'm not saying that to big me up. I'm just saying you be faithful with what God's put in your hand. And I promise you, he will promote you and take you to places you've never imagined. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And so what kind of leaders we want to build in this church? We don't want to build opportunist leaders. We want to build faithful people who say, hey, I'll do whatever it takes to build the house of God. If you want to be a must-have leader, don't be an opportunist. Be a faithful servant heart individual. Number four, if you want to be a, a must-have leader on this team, you've got to be sincere and endearing. It's really important as leaders. A lot of, you know, a lot of time, I mean, we'll just go to, you know, we all know the fruits of the Spirit, hey? Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit. The fifth fruit of the Spirit is this word. It's called kindness. There are too many mean people out there. In fact, there's too many mean Christians out there for us to add to them. And, you know, I've I, I had many, many times someone's come in my office and I'm really struggling with my leadership, really struggling. People don't want to follow me or they give me attitude or they backbite, they back chat. I said, can I be really honest? You're mean. You're mean. I wouldn't want to follow you. If you bark like that at me, I wouldn't want to follow you. You're a great guy. You've got some great qualities, but you're just mean. You know what? People need endearing people around them. I love endearing people. I'd much rather be around an endearing, kind-hearted person with no gift on his life who's just kind-hearted than someone gifted to the ears but just mean. And if, you, if we want to grow as leaders, and you know, I feel like I'm preaching at the choir tonight because you guys are so, so, so awesome. And you're all kind and loving, but stay endearing. Endearing means be likable. Be likable. We were in the Apple store today. And uh, it's amazing. Those guys are highly trained. I notice when I go into that store, everyone's endearing. It's like you'd want to go and hang out and have a coffee with everyone who works in there because they're just nice. They're kind. Now, I don't know if that's just a a trained front they put on, but whatever it is, they're kind. You know, in church, there's going to be a lot of people who are bringing hurts, pains. They don't need us as leaders to be mean. And sometimes we've just got to smile. Everyone just smile. You know, when, when, we, when, we, when Chantal and I made a decision that we're going to build church, we made this decision that on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning that when we get out of bed at 7 o'clock and we drive into work, we're going to put our game face on. We're going to put our game face on. Whatever's been going on in our marriage, whatever's been going on in our business, our finance, our health, we're ready for it and we're up for it because I'm telling you this. So I'm going to walk in the back of those doors who's going through far worse than what we're going through. And they need me to be up. We just encourage, we so, so, you know, you're tired. And we would be running six services on a Sunday. Sometimes I would preach three times, get on a plane, fly two hours, preach there, fly back. I'd get in at midnight on a Sunday. I was whacked. But you know what? I made a decision. I was going to be kind. And I was going to be endearing. I was going to put my game face on because people need us up. People need you up. There's a lot of, I, you know, it was a privilege to preach here yesterday. And as I was looking out and teaching on disappointment, I, could re- I realized there was a lot of hurting people here yesterday. And they need you up. So when you come here on a Sunday, it's not Pastor Phil's job to get you up. 
It's your job to get you up. Okay, now if he adds to it, bonus. But let me tell you, he doesn't always want to be here either. It's life. It's life. He goes through, Pastor Phil and Kay, they have the same emotions. They've got a three-month-old baby. They're going through the same emotions just like you. And they have to get their game face on. If we're going to build this thing, if we're going to be must-have leaders, if we're going to be influential leaders of this city, we've got to get our game face on. Be kind. Be endearing. Let me tell you, love is a magnetic force. It's a magnetic force, and it will draw people back. You might not have maybe the greatest facilities right now. You might not have everything. Let me tell you, love is the best force ever to bring people into this church. You keep loving people, they'll come back because they won't find it in the mall. They won't find it at the movies. They won't find it at home. If they find it here, they'll keep coming back. People want to be loved. So you come in, you bring them in, just keep loving them. Just keep loving them. All right. Sincere and endearing. Is this helping? All right. The fourth thing of being a must-have leader, if you're going to be a must-have leader on this team, hey, I'm doing the counting. Fifth. That was mean. That's right. That was. You got to. This is really important. If you're going to be a must-have leader, you got to delight in details. Delight in details. Song of Solomon two verse fifteen says, "Small foxes spoil the vine." Okay, it's the little things out of place that cause a lot of problems, and little things make a big difference. Those big doors on the back. Let me tell you, they're big doors, but they're tiny little hinges. Little things make big differences. And so in your area, in your area, this is talking about excellence. How can you make your area excellence? So this stage, I'm looking at this stage. How can we make those wires the tidiest wires they can ever be on a Sunday? How can we look at our areas? How can we look at the kids' ministry and look at the room and say, is this room the tidiest, the cleanest it could possibly be? Because this isn't just my house, this is God's house. When we go in the bathroom, is this bathroom... Because it's not the cleaner's job to clean the bathroom. It's our job because it's our home. So if I'm having, if, if, if I'm having, if I have a house, I don't have a house right now, but one day I will have a house. I've got a few suitcases. It's pretty fun. But when we have a house and we invite guests around, if I invite you around and my bathroom's dirty, I'm not going to say, oh, the cleaner doesn't come in until Tuesday. It's my home. It's my home. I own that. That's my, it's my toilet. So I am precious about that because you are my guest. So when people come into this home on Sunday, this is your front room. That's your kitchen. That's your bathroom. That's your coffee area. Are you, are you getting this tonight? This is ours. We own this. We tithe. We give. So we take ownership of this house. And so delight in the details. Am I doing the best with what I have? You know, if I said to you, to all the department leaders tonight, oh, what do you need? You'd all give me a list of things you need for your area. Production would probably give me the longest list. They'd say, oh, I need this speaker, this computer. I need this laptop. I, if I spoke to the kids' team, they need all these latest. And I, we get that, okay? But money is not always the best option because money destroys innovation. Two years ago, um, in Hillsong, South Africa, we got an email from the, from the team, the financial team, to say budgets were cut by 40, I think it was 40 or 45% for that year. That's a huge cut. Huge cut. So budgets were slashed in half. We were just having a challenge. We were, we were expanding into a different area, and we were planning out a new campus, and so they said budgets are cut. 
Now, first of all, everyone just freaked out. How can you cut our budget? And then we decided we'd all get in a room and said, instead of moaning about it, let's get creative about it. Let's get innovative about it. Actually, what can we do with what we've got? Because it doesn't cost any money to tidy those wires on the stage, does it? Does it? We could, so we can get creative and innovative with what we do have. It doesn't cost money to love people. It doesn't cost money to give someone a hug. It doesn't cost money to clean a toilet. Does that make sense? And so let's do the best with what we do have. God delights in details. And a lack of resources, resources should cause innovation, not frustration. So if you're looking at the moment about everything that you don't have, say, you know what, how can I get creative with what I do have? So how can we make this sound system, it might not be the ultimate sound system, that projector might not, how can we make it be the best we can possibly have? So it's just thinking outside of the box. Okay, number eight. <laughs> I don't know where we're up to. Six. All right, being a characteristics of a must-have leader, number, number six, this is really important, show honor. Show honor. Number one, show honor to God. So we honor God in all we do. One of the best ways to honor God is to speak well of our leaders. Will Phil and Kelly always get it right? No. Does John and Chantel always get it right? Definitely not. But we speak well of each other. We speak well of church. So I want to encourage you to honor you know, we all know the story, and I expect Phil's taught the whole the principle that when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth, the Bible says he could not do many mighty miracles. Why? Because there was no honor. They said a prophet is not without honor in his hometown. So Jesus goes back to Nazareth, and there is no honor there. And Jesus, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he is able to do every anything. He's only able to heal a few headaches and a cold. Why was that? Because there was dishonor there. Now, I know in this house there is honor, and I can feel like I want to encourage you to continually honor your leaders. Continue to speak well of them. Lift them up. And as you do that, you create a culture of honor. When you see Pastor Phil carrying a box in, or you see him carrying his pushchair and offer to help, what is that? That's honor. And he doesn't tell me to say that. I'm telling, I'm telling you that, okay? Because what you're doing that is you're creating honor. Does that make sense? If the Queen of England, God bless her, God save her, if she was coming in tonight, we would honor her. Okay, we would honor her, but we honor our leaders. Okay, so create a culture of honor and create a culture of honor to one another. And I meet a lot of people who are really good at honoring upwards, very average at honoring across, and really poor at honoring downwards. So that you'd honor Pastor Phil, wow, so great, what a great word. And then you speak to your team member badly. See, God doesn't honor that. You can't just honor up. You've got to be a 360-degree leader. You've got to honor everywhere. So you've got to honor your leader. You've got to honor those you work beside. You've got to honor those you lead. It's a 360-degree leadership model. Do we finish at eight? Okay, show honor. Number seven. Number seven. Don't get overwhelmed by the challenge. But overcome the challenge. Characteristics of a must-have leader. Don't get overwhelmed by the challenge. But overcome the challenge. There is a solution to every problem in this church. And we, 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 we need to create a culture. And it's a, a culture that's here already. But we can continue to develop it. And the culture is this. 
It's a, a culture of we can make it happen. We can make it happen. Working for Hillsong Church over the years, I have had many, many requests that I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to make that happen? But you know, it's amazing when you have a we can make it happen culture, it's amazing what you can do. And we can make it happen, it encourages you to think outside of the box. So if Phil says, hey, you know what, this Sunday, we're going to double the crowd. We're going to have a double in a day. We can make that happen. Because if everybody takes responsibility in this house to invite one of their friends to church on Sunday, we've doubled our church. We can make that happen. We can make that happen. But if you say, oh, who could I invite? No, if we all take responsibility, I'm going to invite one person. And in fact, I'm not just going to invite them. I'm going to bring them. Because there is a difference between inviting people and bringing people. Inviting people, I think statistics say 10% come. Bringers, 90%. They can't get out of your car once they're in. You know the Good Samaritan story? The Good Samaritan. He He sees the guy beaten up on the side of the road. What does the Bible say? It says, he didn't say to him, oh, you poor guy, you should go and check out the local hospital, the Jericho Hospital. It's a brilliant hospital. Get yourself sorted out. Cheers on, on his way. No, he says he brought him to the inn. There is a difference between inviting someone and bringing someone. And as leaders, we've got to be bringers. Be bringers. We cannot expect people in our congregation to take responsibility for growing our congregation. We all, because this is our house. This isn't Phil's church. This is our church. So we all take responsibility to say, you know what? We're going to be bringers to the house. Not in, just invite us. And I encourage you sometimes. You, you see, when you invite someone straight away, the enemy hears that and he starts planting excuses in that person's. The kids get sick, transport breaks. But when you say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to bring you to church. Hey, I'll be around on Sunday at quarter to five. Immediately you eliminate like 90% of the excuses. So our job, so if we're going to double this church, we've got to have whatever it takes attitude. If Pastor Phil says, hey, we're fasting for the next whatever it is, we're in. We're in, heart and soul. This is the culture we're creating. Whatever it takes, culture. Okay, so it doesn't get overwhelmed by the challenge, but overcomes the challenge. Number eight, I'm going to spend some time on this one. This is really important. If you're going to be a must-have leader in this church, you've got to have the God factor about you. You can have all the great leadership qualities. I know a lot of, lot, lot of non-believers who have great leadership qualities. They're endearing, they're kind, they're strong. But you've got to have the God factor. And that's really important. Uh, it sets you apart. We talked about this yesterday. If you weren't in church, I encourage you to grab the podcast. But you, you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. And if we're not growing spiritually, the people under us won't grow. Okay, that's the bottom line. I just made a decision every year I want to know more of God than I did the year before. So if I continue to do what I did last year, nothing's going to change. So there's certain things I've got to read more this year. I've got to study harder. I've got to listen more. Podcasts, DVDs, whatever it is. If I'm going to grow in God this year, I cannot do what I did last year. You can't because that's the word insanity. Okay? Some of you know what that word means. Okay? The same results. All right? So you've got you've to do something different. And so if we want to see growth in this church, who wants to see growth? I know you all do. You've got to grow. I've got to take... It is not Pastor Phil's responsibility to grow you. 
It's your responsibility. If Pastor Phil never spoke another great message ever again, it's fine. Because we all take personal responsibility to growth. So I've taken personal responsibility. Right now we're on the road, we're traveling, we're giving out a lot. We're giving out, which means if I just keep giving out and giving it, I'm going to get dry. So I've got to take responsibility to feed myself. So you've got to take personal responsibility. That could be a, a Joyce Meyer CD or a DVD. Or, but getting the word of God in you daily. Because if the people in your team aren't growing, I'm not looking at the people in your team. I'm looking at you. Because you're the leader. You take responsibility. People only follow what they hear and what they see. And so have the God factor. And so I want to go to the book of Acts chapter 2. I haven't thrown in too many scriptures tonight, but this is one I want to just throw in. And this is talking about the early church. And the early church have seen some explosive growth. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And it says, right at the end, it says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church was growing rapidly, 3,000, 5,000 people in a day. Who would like that kind of growth? That's exponential, hey? That's, that's That's pretty cool. Now, as I read that scripture, the Lord added daily, and we find out 3,000 people added to the church. I want to know why. Whoever wants to know why. If I look at the company Apple, okay, I want to know why they're growing so fast. It's very easy. Just walk in the store. You'll soon realize why it's growing fast with the customer service, with the product, okay? But the early church, I'm looking at this thing and saying, why is that church growing fast? Well, there's four key factors when we're looking at the God fact, there's four key factors why the church was growing at that speed. And the first is it, it says they devoted themselves. They didn't leave the devotion to the... We don't even read about... We know that Peter was called to build the church, but we don't even know who the senior minister was. We don't even... They didn't have any awesome production gear. They didn't even have a church building. So what was their secret? They had an intense devotion to the Lord. It says they devoted themselves. And too many Christians today, they want all the benefits of the faith of Christianity, but they're not prepared to take the responsibility of devoting themselves. And the early church was built on personal devotion. And uh, I want to talk about four areas for us to be devoted in as we look at the God factor. If you're going to be a must-have leader, these are four areas in personal devotion. Number one, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This is the word of God. Okay? I want to have a fresh hunger for the word of God this year than I did last year. A lot of people say, oh, John, I haven't heard from God recently. I want to say, if you can't hear God, read God. You've got you to listen to God through his word. And there's going to be days you're going to pick your Bible up, and it is going to be dry. It's going to be dead. There is nothing there. Okay? And there's a little parrot called the devil. And he's going to say, because you didn't get anything yesterday, you won't get anything today. Who's ever heard the parrot? Okay? And you leave it two days. And the parrot says, see, I told you. Before we know it, it's just collecting dust. And I want to encourage you, keep reading it. Even on the days when you don't feel like picking it up, pick up the word of God. Get it inside of you. Devote yourself to this book. I was reading today. 
your word, your word in Psalms, your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. This is your map. This is what's going to guide you. This is what's going to lead you. What was the early church built on? It was people who were devoted to this book. They were devoted to this book. And as leaders, we can only grow people. We can only take people as far as we've been ourselves. Apostles teaching. Number two, it says they were, developed, they were devoted to the fellowship with one another. What's that talking about? It's community. You know, in church, especially as we grow in church, we can become very task-orientated. As church gets bigger, the task list gets longer. Okay, and, you know, I can, in, in, in Hillsong, I was dealing with between four to 500 emails a week. It was just crazy. But I had to realize this. Amidst the task, you've got to keep relationship. Because the early church wasn't built on task. It was built on relationship. Do we need tasks? The toilets don't clean themselves. The production gear doesn't get set up itself. Yes, we need tasks. But within the task, we have to keep relationship. And the early church was built around community. And uh, number three, the third area is for us to be devoted in, like the early church, it says communion. It said they took time to break bread with one another. Now, I don't know. Do you guys do communion first Sunday of every month? Or how? I don't know how you work it. but Brilliant. Never limit communion to the first Sunday of every month. That's not what it was designed for. That's the corporate communion gathering. Have communion in your home. Have communion in your worship rehearsal. Have communion in your connect group. Have communion with your wife before you go to work. Have communion in a restaurant. The Bible says do this as often. This is what the early church was built, was built on. And I want to encourage you to break bread with one another. Just do it. Make it part of your lifestyle. Chantelle and I, with our connect group, we, we'd be out at a Thai restaurant and we'd just break bread. I say, come on, it didn't even have to be bread. We'd just have some rice and we'd drink. We just, I said, guys, let's just stop, pause. Let's break bread. Let's remember what Christ has done on our behalf. Let's just take a moment. You know what, what that does? It says to God, we're actually serious about this thing. It's not just that we're actually serious. You can, I want to encourage you to create a culture in this house where you create communion moments. We just pause. You could, be in, you could be in Chili's. Hey, let's have communion. Why not? We've only got some Coke. It doesn't have to be Ribena or whatever it is. You can just have a moment where you say, you know, we're going to remember his blood. We're going to remember his body, which is broken for us. Get God in the middle of what you're doing. And when you get God in the middle of it, you get his attention. And he'll start breathing on what God's doing here and what he's doing here. This is what the is this helping the early church? It was built on His Word. It was built on prayer. It was built on breaking of bread and uh, apostles' teaching, fellowship, communion, and finally prayer. It was built on prayer, and uh, they broke bread in their homes with gladness, praising God, and they added to the number daily as being saved. They were devoted in prayer, and I always say this: prayer is like protein. It builds us up, it makes us strong, and it helps us grow. Some of you, you know, you like pushing the weights and you drink some protein afterwards to help you strong and build you up and help you grow. That's exactly what prayer does. It's exactly what prayer does. And, you know, again, don't limit God to a 10-minute prayer before you go to work. Just talk to God. I talked to God. I went for a run tonight. I said, God, Delta's driving me crazy. They won't answer their phone. You know, it's like the Bible says, cast your cares on him. For he cares for you. He cares for you. Just talk to him. Talk to him about your 
your situation. Just talk to Make prayer a lifestyle, not a moment. Make it a lifestyle. Just make it a conversation with God. Drop in every half an hour with him. Say, my boss is driving me bonkers. Talk to him. Just take, include him in it. And as, we, as the early church did these four things, it says the Lord added daily to those who are being saved. Because as you do those four things, you will grow. And if you are growing, the people around you will grow. And when the people around you grow, you're going to just see exponential growth. Is this helping? All right. Number 12. Number nine. If you are going to be a leader, a must-have leader, then commitment to loving people, developing people, skill and raising other leaders. Basically, a commitment to investing into others. Last year or two years ago in 2011, I saw a lot of young guys. Is it, have we got any, how old are you over there? 17. So guys like your age. I saw a lot of them in the church, just, you know, 17, things are going crazy, lots of decision choices, hormones, sorry to embarrass you, and uh, lots of things happening with young lads. I said, right, what are we going to do between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock every Wednesday? I'm going to create a, gu- create a group. We're going to call it the Young Guns Group, and we're going to meet every week. And I said to these, I sent out an email to all these young lads. I said, if you can't make it, that's fine. But if you're com- fully committed, I'm committed to growing you. Because I want to see you grow as leaders. So for two and a half years, every Wednesday between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock, we did leadership development. We talked about leadership. We talked about church, Bible, sex, anything that would be appropriate for a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old young man. And it was incredible, the fruit which came out of this group. Because, and now it was a pain because... You know, it was time I could be spending with my wife or time I could be... But I decided for... I was going to spend between five and six every week investing into a group of young people. Now, I want to encourage you to look at your time scale, look at your time, say, who am I regularly investing my time in? Not who am I sending an email... Sending an email is not investing your time into. Okay? Telling someone to be there for rehearsal at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning is not investing... Practicing with a group of worship leaders is not investing your time into them. Who are you regularly investing your time into? Because we need, as leaders, to invest ourselves into others. So developing people, raising others. And number 10, I'm going to keep moving because of time, always enthusiastic. If you're going to be a must-have leader, we've kind of touched on these, and some of these overlap a little, but always enthusiastic. I love what I love about your... Pastor Phil is this. He's always up. Phil's always up. We were talking about this the other day. We were talking together. Sometimes, you know, he'll get on the platform and say, oh, so much stuff going on in my world, but I'm going to be up. And I think we've got to make a decision to be up. Just going to be up. Going to be up. You know, there's times behind closed doors with your wife, with your kids, and you can have a, you can have a time where you're open and honest about what's happening, but not in public. Never wear your emotion in public i i've got a cd here on on arresting emotions you know one of the biggest things one of the biggest things that the enemy uses are emotions they are destroying people all over the world the reason is because we never get to the root issue of them you know when you stub your toe in in walmart on someone someone rams their trolley into the back of your ankles or you hurt your toe 
and you just go, ah, and then something explodes out of you. Or the guy who cuts you up on the highway and you get angry. Do you know, realize it's not the guy in the, the guy in the cab next to you or the, the person who pushed. Do you realize that is an issue that could go back to your childhood that you've never dealt with? And that is the anger coming out. And some, of, some leaders, they've never, to every fruit, there's a root. And what we want to do is put a plaster over the fruit. Pay for an hour to go and see a psychiatrist. Think, oh, that'll fix it. No, unless we get to the root of our issues, our emotions will never change. And so, again, this comes back to developing ourselves personally. So as I went through this series on arresting emotions, I looked at the four emotions of rejection. You know how many people? Rejection is like a cancer in society. People walking around carrying the weight of rejection. Jealousy. You know how many people get jealous of others? The fruit that bears in their life is an emotion they've never dealt with. Anger. My goodness. You know how many people are in jail tonight in New Orleans? Because they had an angry moment. They're not bad people. They're awesome people. They just had an angry moment because they never dealt with the root issue in their life. So some, you can grab that at the end. There's $5. deals with a lot of the there's two, two-part series and uh, $5. But that will help you if you're dealing with some of those emotions. But you've got to um, always be enthusiastic. You can only be enthusiastic if you've dealt with the root issues in your life. We were in... Uh, we were we were in Disney World last last week, and it was amazing. As a, as I sat in Disney, in fact, I blogged about it. Some of my, some of you might have read, but it's amazing. The staff in Disney are a one. They are a one. Everyone is so helpful. They are so friendly, and they they actually put the church to shame. The Bible says that we're the head, not the tail. At the moment, Disney are the head because when I walk in there, they are the friendliest. But they say it's the happiest place in the world, and it is. But it shouldn't be. The church should be the happiest place in the world. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. I'm not saying Disney, but we need to. The church is learning from Disney. Disney should be learning from the church. When I walked out, we were in Animal Kingdom. I walked out of Animal Kingdom on Wednesday. Or last, well, I can't remember what day it is. They all roll into one. As I walked out, there was a cleaner. She stopped. She said, Hey, I hope you've had the best day. Hope to see you again soon. God bless. Are you kidding? I don't even get that in church. I've just walked out of a theme park that's not going to do anything but create a couple of photo memories on Facebook and the cleaner's more happy than half the people who attend church. We've got it wrong. So we've got to make a decision and we're going to turn this thing on its head. We should give the people the best hello and the best goodbye when they come into church. We should be known as the happiest church in Baton Rouge. This should be this place. Everyone should be want to be here on a Sunday because you're there. It's gone quiet. Where's my pen? So you say, well, how are we going to do that? Well, let's, let's, let's have a look at this. How Pastor Phil, he's the pastor of this church, but he cannot pastor everyone. All right? He can't do it. He's not Superman. He's pretty cool, but he's not Superman. Okay. There's probably 300, 300 plus people here on Sunday. There is no way he can pastor this church. So this church is set out like this. Right now it's set out. It might change in the future. Okay? So right now, Phil is responsible for everyone. Impossible job. So we have to take some responsibility here. So how can we pastor people who come into this church? I'll tell you how we do it. We pastor by sections. So 
What's your name? Samuel. This is your section. So you sit here every Sunday with your beautiful wife. And these eight chairs here, this is your section. This is your church. This is your church. And anyone who sits in those ten seats are yours. They're yours. And when one of them's not there on a Sunday, you're on the phone afterwards. Hey, we missed you today. Church just wasn't the same without you. Phil can't do that for 300 people, but you can do that for 10. This is your section. This is your section. So you sit here. You're committed to sitting in that chair every single Sunday. And anyone who comes in your section, they're yours. You're the pastor of your section. So if Sister Ethel is sick, you're going to notice her. See, Phil can't notice everyone who's away, but you can in your section. So we don't just pastor the whole, we don't just pastor from Phil. You have a section, we have section pastors. And you don't have to have the title of pastor, but you are responsible for those 10 people. And we grow, that's how we grow. 10 here, 10 that. So we divide this whole thing up into sections of 10. Isn't that awesome? You can have a red t-shirt on. Hey, we just, so you're responsible. So when you're in the foyer, you're looking out for your 10. Remember, you could be 5 or 12, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but you can just say, you know what, I'm responsible for those people. And that is how we grow health into the church. You know what, if something's healthy, it grows. I know a lot of big things that aren't healthy. We can create health in here, and it will keep growing. How can we create health? By pastoring in sections. We're all getting this. All right, good, good, good. Okay, so always enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Number 11, must have leaders. Don't just listen, but they hear. Okay, they don't just listen, but they hear. They hear right now. You're hearing what I'm saying, not just listening, you're hearing it. Okay, John's just talked about this whole concept. That one concept there could change this church. That one thing. Some of you have just listened to that, you haven't heard it. You've missed something there. You've got to hear. So when Phil's talking and when Megan's talking in the announcements, don't just listen, hear what's being said. Hear, hear the details of it. There's a difference. As a leader, we've got to be able to hear. And don't just listen to what's being said. Listen to be what's not being said. And there's a difference. I'm not going to take too much time on that. But they don't just listen, but they hear. Oh, where's time going? Have I got a few more minutes? Is this, give me five, ten more minutes. Always enthusiastic, don't just listen, but they hear. Number 12, carry with conviction everything they do. Did we come here tonight sharp, ready to learn? Do we have the attitude of, you know what, tonight could be the greatest night of my life? When I come into church, I'm believing that this Sunday, I'm going to be in Kansas City this Sunday. I'm believing it's going to be the greatest service I've ever been to. That's the conviction I carry. I'm going to believe that more souls will be saved this Sunday than ever before in that church. I'm going to believe for healings. I'm going to come to church with a spirit of expectation. I have a conviction in my spirit that today is going to be a great day. On Sunday morning when the team get up to worship, that is going to be the greatest worship experience you've ever had. That is the kind of a conviction that you need to have when you come into church. Not coming in with a serviette or feed me. No, worship is not about us, it's about him. So we come and we give God our best. We give him everything. So we carry it with a conviction. Every minor detail, do it with conviction. 
Maybe you're just preparing communion cups. Maybe you're standing and welcoming people. Do it with a real conviction. Ephesians 4 verse 16, Paul's talking to Ephesians. He's saying every part, every part does its part. Every person does its part. We need every person. We cannot run this church without you. You are an integral part of this church. We've all got to play our part. Number 13. This is really important. I'm going to use another illustration. Must have leaders stay fresh through all seasons. This is really key. This is really key. And this is something that I've learned the hard way. And uh, Phil's saying we've been, you've been doing some teaching on body, mind, and soul. Is that right? One of the awesome girls in the church has been doing some of that. That's fantastic. And I, I commend that. And we really have to stay fresh and committed to, you know, I'm committed to longevity. I'm going to believe God to be around on this earth for 100 plus years. That's what I'm committed to. Tonight, before I came up here, I went for, went for a run, went for a six-mile run. Why? Because I'm committed to my health. I'm committed to longevity in this thing. I don't just want to be here for the next 20 years. I want to be here for the next 50, 60 years preaching God's word. And if I'm going to do that, I'm committed to health. I'm committed to body, mind, and soul. And so take responsibility for your life. And, you know, there are times that uh, we all feel tired, hey? There's times we, we get exhausted at work, exhausted in church life, exhausted. And that's normal, okay? And I, I understand that. But um, I want to just show you, uh, show you something that I learned. And that's this. I'm going to draw a cup. This cup, represents, this cup represents your life. Now, we operate best when our cup is full, okay? Around the, around the 80% mark. We operate great. You know, you've had, you've had a great night's sleep, eaten some good food, been with the family, had a couple of days rest. You know, your cups, your cups up there, hey? Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, you've done some exercise, you've, you've been around some good people, you're feeling fresh. And that's where God wants you to live at because when you're feeling fresh, you can, you know, you can deliver fresh. You can deliver what God's called you to do. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to drain you. He wants to drain your energy. He wants to drain your enthusiasm. He wants the fence to creep in. And he wants to pull this down. Below 10% is the danger zone. Okay? This is where most leaders, most people leave church, give up, crack, burn out. That's danger zone. In fact, most people make their biggest mistakes in that, in that part of the cup. Okay, you make your worst mistakes when you're completely exhausted. Okay, you, I think it was 90 or 95% of our worst decisions happen late at night. You think about your worst decisions you made in, in life, most of them happened in darkness. It's because as the day goes on, I think it was Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan said he never made an important decision after 3 o'clock. Because your brain starts closing down. Okay, it starts going to rest zone, and um, the challenge is most of some of the ch- stuff we do in church life happens in the evenings. Okay, some of you have been at work today, and you're tired, and you listen to me, and your brains begin to shut down. I understand that. You're exhausted. Okay, but what the enemy wants to do is get us into this zone. So he will do anything he can to get us there, because we make our worst decisions in that zone. 
So as leaders, I wanted to make you aware of this tonight to help you live up here. Now there's a cost to living up there. There's a cost to living down there and there's a cost to living up there. But the cost is far greater living down there. And so to live 80% or more with our cup, I'm going to ask you three questions. I'll ask you six questions, but start with three questions. Who are the three people in life who drain you? Now, keep that to yourself, especially if your spouse is sitting next to you. I'm kidding. Who are the three people who take your energy? You get around them and you go from like 80% like, whoa. Now, it's okay. It's okay. People do drain you, okay? It's natural, especially on a Sunday. You're going to talk to all sorts of characters, okay? Negative Nigel, you know, hyper Sally, you're going to talk to them all, okay? Some are going to give you... Uh, energy, some of them are going to drain you. But that's not the issue. The issue is on a Sunday, when I walk into church, I want to be 80% plus full to give my best to God and to people. If I walk into church on a Sunday, 10, 20, 30%, I'm in trouble. Because I get around negative Nigel, who's got all sorts of opinions about things, he's going to drain me. All of a sudden, I'm in 10%, I'm going to snap someone's head off. Do you see where I'm going? So we've got to look at how do we keep our cup replenished. So who are the three people who take your energy? Next question. What are the three places that drain you? If I'm like 30 40% and I go into a supermarket, God help people. Because it takes me from a 30 to a 20 really quick. I know the things that... Now, for some of you, you go shopping and you go from a 30 to a 50. Some of you going, that's me. That's cool. We're all different. It's great. You get energized at the shops. Fantastic. We'll come on to that. Okay? Who are the three people who take your, who take your energy? What are the three places that take your energy? And what are the three things which take your energy? What are the three things that take your energy? Could be late night work. You bring your work wet and you just... Just drains you. Three things that take your energy. All right, you can think about those again. I'm just throwing those questions. Okay, let's put, just turn a positive spin on this. Who are the three people who energize you? All right, who are the three people who energize you? I have a guy in I have a guy in Australia called Steve. He's a great friend. In fact, he's related to Pastor Phil. And uh, every Monday. Pretty much without fail, we have a phone conversation, okay? And he is my biggest encourager. So all he does is encourage me. He rings me up, we Skype, and we talk. He says, what's frustrating you right now? He listens, he gives me wisdom, he gives me advice, he gives me godly counsel. And if I'm on a 30 from a Sunday, on, on a Monday morning from a Sunday, he, gives me, he gets me up to about 50. Okay, so I've got three or four people, I ring. Phil's a great person. I get around him, I get energized because he's full of life. Bible says iron sharpens iron. So you've got to find who are the three people who replenish you. Because if we're going to build this thing long term, we've got to get know who, we, who to be around and who not to be around. Okay, so who are the three people who are going to bring energy into your world? It could be a mom, it could be a dad. I get around my wife and Chantel. It could be uh, my, wife, my wife and daughter. I come home from work at 5 o'clock. As soon as I do, if I'm on a 20, I go straight to a 40. Just seeing their faces. That's why I don't want to be away from them for long periods, because I want to be around my family because they replenish me. 
Okay, so who are, what are the three people who replenish me? What are the three places that replenish you? For me, it's water. I love being around on a lake, on a sea, on a river. As soon as I see water, straight away my spirit lifts. Anyone the same? You just love being around water. Well, if you're having a bad day, guess where you need to be? In a tub. That's right, brother. I hope this is helping some people because I want you to recognize, I want you to recognize the things that can help you make sure that you go the distance. So what are the three places? So if I'm having a tough time, I love to go for, I love to go for a run by water. That is for me the ultimate. Okay, the third question Three places which replenish you. Three things which replenish you. What are the three things you love to do? Some of you girls, you go to the mall, you buy yourself a couple of new tops and a coffee, coffee and a top, and life is just all good again. For some of you, you go to the gym. Some of you watch a movie. For some of you, go and play soccer. That's all good, but you've got to know what are the three places, who are the three people, and what are the three things. Let me tell you, you do that, you can live in the 80%. You can live right there. You live right there. You are completely effective in the kingdom of God. Stay fresh. Stay fresh. Stay fresh through all seasons. This needs to be the healthiest church in Baton Rouge. How are you going to do that? By staying fresh. Stay fresh. All right. Five minutes. I've got one minute to go. This is my largest point, so I'm going to take 30 seconds on it. Okay, really important. Show enthusiasm and initiative. 2 Corinthians 8:16. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and there was a chap called Titus in the mix. And he was a very dear friend to Paul, and he would travel with Paul on his missions. He was kind of his right-hand man. And when Paul would plant churches, he would leave Titus um, back there to help them run them. And this is what Paul said about Titus. I just want you to touch, but just, to, just to focus for one more minute. Thanks be to God who put this in his heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our teal, but he is coming with you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And Titus just loved taking the initiative. And uh, I believe enthusiasm plus initiative is a great combination. Enthusiasm on its own is actually very dangerous. I know a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about this church who are not here anymore. And a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about the church I was a part of, Hillsong. We first started, we had, I don't know, hundreds of volunteers that are not there anymore. Why? Because they had enthusiasm, but they didn't have initiative. And as a leader in the kingdom of God, enthusiasm, yes, we need you there, we need you pumped, we need you up. But more than that, we need initiative. And if there's one thing that's lacking in this day and age, it is initiative. I'll tell you why this is. I have a friend in England, and uh, he works from home. Okay, He works at home. He gets his groceries delivered at home. And uh, his groceries then go into the microwave. And he presses start, and two minutes later, as we were talking yesterday, he gets his meal out of the microwave. He then sits in front of the TV and gets pay, pay-per-view from the box office TV. And uh, before he goes to bed, he does all his banking online, and his espresso wakes him up in the morning. Where is the initiative in that? Initiative has been taken out of society. And so now we have a culture where no one takes initiative, because technology is our initiative. Now, that was a very exaggerated story. 
But we come into church and again, we've got enthusiasm, but who's taken initiative? Who's taken initiative? Who is going to take initiative to tidy those wires this week? Who's going to take initiative to clean the church? Who's going to take initiative? Because we cannot just survive on enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is great, but it doesn't change anything. It's initiative, and this is why Paul loved having Titus around him, because he did not just have enthusiasm, he had initiative. And initiative is about getting up and making things happen. And, you know, one of the dangers in, 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 or misconceptions of culture, and I hear this said of others, and I've said it myself, is they are not just, they're just not the type of person who takes initiative. Has anyone ever heard that? And I actually think that's wrong. Because we're saying initiative is a personality trait. And initiative is not a personality trait, it's an attitude trait. There is a complete difference. Now some people are naturally more inclined to take initiative. But I believe this, we can teach initiative. We can help people take initiative. And this church is going to be a church that takes initiative. I know pastors Phil and Kelly, they are committed to it. We're going to take initiative. And... uh, I was trying to finish with this story. I was coming back from soccer training a few weeks ago in South Africa. And I have a friend. He's a really nice car. and He's a Mercedes-Benz, and he was taking me back. And uh, right outside of our house, uh, someone had broken down in an older, ca- uh, an older car. And we drove past, and he waved us down. And this guy said, he shouted, he said, do you have any jump leads? Do they call them jump leads? Jumper cables. Jumper cables. And Damien... He's a, a guy, he's, he was the driver. He is a real, uh, you know, he's a real kind of self-starter guy. And he said yes. And so we lifted the bonnet and he jump-started this vehicle, the hood. <laughs> now, the broken car, God really spoke to me about this. And I just want, I know I'm, I'm keeping you, but I really want you to grab this. The broken car equaled enthusiasm. Now, that guy who left his house, he knew he was driving an old car. The battery had been dying for a while, but he was enthusiastic. He was going to get to his destination, but he didn't make it. Now, Damien had initiative because he said, if I break down, I've got my jumper cables in the back. And there are too many people today who are jumpstart leaders, not self-start leaders. Oh, come and give me a jump, Phil. You, I'm gonna. I've had a bad week. Can you can you jump start me on Sunday? Can you jump start me? Can you jump start me? I don't feel like. Can you? And God does not need any more jump starters. He needs more self starters. And we need to be leaders who are self starters in this church. There's two reasons why you carry jump leads in your car. Number one, you drive a dodgy car. You drive through life enthusiastically, you have no initiative. The second reason you carry jump leads is this, you know someone else might need them. I don't want to be a jump start leader, I want to be a self-starter because I know this, someone is going to need me to jump start them. So when I come into church on a Sunday, I come in with the attitude of this, I don't need to be jump started because I'm a self-starter, but if someone needs to be jump started, I've got the leads. I've got what it takes. And life's too short for us to have each member of our teams. Life is just too short for Phil to have to go around every Sunday and jumpstart everyone in this room. 
you've got to make a decision this Sunday, I'm going to walk through those doors as a self-starter. Not as a jump start, as a self-starter. Because I'm going to use every ounce of energy to help others. Because someone could walk through that door on Sunday at 10%, ready to take their life. Can't handle it anymore. And they need me to make sure I've got my jump cables. They need me 80, 90, 100% ready because I've got a jump start. You can't start a battery if yours is flat. All right? I think we probably should round that up now. Have I got five more? Does it start? Number 17 or 16. Where are we up? 15? 15, you've got to be trusted. Trust is the currency of all true relationships. If you're going to be a must-have leader, you've got to be trusted. Okay, you've got to be trusted. You've got to be trusted in all you do. Trust is the currency. Number 17, I haven't got time to go and read them out. You've got to be a cheerleader. You've got to be a cheerleader, an encouraging leader. Be each other's greatest cheerleaders. You know what? I'm Phil's greatest cheerleader tonight. He's doing a great job. He's building a phenomenal church in this city. It's a church of growth and influence. I'm going to be a cheerleader. You've got to make a decision. You've got to be a discourager or an encourager. Be a cheerleader. Just make a decision. I'm going to be a cheerleader for Pastors Phil and Kelly. I'm a cheerleader. I can't dance. I've got no pom-poms, but I'm a cheerleader. Encourage people. Just go around. Make a decision on a Sunday that when you go into your, when you go into your section and you pass it, you're going to encourage every person in your, in your section. You're going to encourage them. You're going to encourage them. Speak words of life over them. I've never met anyone who's died from an overdose of encouragement. Never met anyone. Number 17. Don't be afraid of hard work. You're going to have to have another service soon. Don't let that scare you. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. Oh, but I've got to work Monday. Man, what a privilege it would be to do six services here. What a privilege it would be if you couldn't fit anyone else in this room. Forget work. Work that on Monday. God says, take no thought for tomorrow. Get on with today. What a privilege it would be if a hundred people found Jesus this Sunday. What a privilege. You were a part of it. Imagine if God decided to breathe on this church in an explosive way. And you were a part of it. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.